And just like that, we are back with Encounter with God here on The Breakfast Show, ready to go with our Bible study for the day. <laughs> we have go, had a fairly quiet morning this morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, haven't had a whole bunch of phone calls coming through. Um, a few technical challenges along the way. Mm-hmm. But we have uh, this just one here on big government because uh, we were talking about big government versus small government and so mm-hmm. forth. Uh, it says, originally God wanted to be our only form of government. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's a really good point. And when you look at God being our only form of government, you find that, well, his law is actually quite simple. Ten commandments. Mm. That's that's small government right there. But it is very, very all-encompassing. Uh, we continue on here. What was it say here? Originally, God wanted to be our only form of government and directed his people through prophets and families and communities, directed his people through prophets. Families and communities were to rule themselves under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But the leaders of Israel wanted to be ruled by kings like the pagan nations. Uh, the human heart, heart is wicked beyond measure. Greed took over and power and greed needs total control of the population. There is no liberty under Satan. Only under God can we have real liberty. Uh, America is going down the way of uh, pagans. We can all see the results. May God save us from big government. Uh, that's that's a bit that's a bit misleading to say there's only ten commandments. Like we, okay. no, it's not. It's not misleading at all. No, like it's it's true that there there are the ten <laughs> commandments, but then we have entire books in the Bible dedicated to giving laws to the people of Israel, specifically in the context where they were given the ten commandments. And then further, oh, how should you conduct yourself? Oh, like this. But I will say that that document, you know, when we talk about, you know, the rest of Exodus and Leviticus and uh, Deuteronomy and whatnot, is very small compared to the documents that we see today, which, you know, tell us the laws and, of the And that document, that here's, here's my argument. Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy and so forth can all be summarized in the Ten Commandments. All of those laws can be summarized in the Ten Commandments. Yeah, you could say that about our laws today, in a way. Well, at, you, could, you, could say, same, you could say anything you want. At the same time, you know, I, I'd imagine that, you know, tax law is, just tax law in and of itself is probably, you know, there's more words in that than my entire Bible. Probably more words than what you would fit on paper in this studio. A hundred percent. Like, like, yeah, okay. I and, and try and wrap your brain around all of the intricacies of tax law. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, interesting point. I will take your point on that one. <laughs> I will say that, yeah, God's government is still very small, and the, and the whole concept behind small government is individual responsibility mm-hmm. rather than corporate responsibility. And people who think individually will always move towards small government, people who think corporately, and really what it comes down to is the way we think, will always mm-hmm. move towards big government. People who see the opportunity for improvement of humanity as character development will look at individual responsibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, people see the improvement of society through law will look at corporate responsibility yes. and therefore big government. So it's mm-hmm. one of the, some of the defining ways, and it explains a lot of why people view the world very differently. Mm. It all comes down to how your 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 brain processes work. Yes, and there's going to be a whole lot of things that are going to come into that. You know, environmental, uh, DNA, whatever. You know, some people are just born to think corporately; others are born to think individually. Mm. 
but it does have a dramatic effect on the way that you look at government. But yeah, there are positives and negatives on both sides. Obviously, we're talking about you know how pagans are very libertarian. Yes, you, you know uh, we yes. had the text today. They're making the point: save us very from save us from big government. Da da da. It's like oh, but people make that same point who are actually opposed to what you believe. Like, and they make it for different reasons. Like, they want smaller governments so that they can practice witchcraft and, you know, which, again, is like, ah, oh, that's your and what you'll find is that, freedom. Yeah, what you'll find is that uh, pagan religions will be very, very strongly supportive of religious liberty and separation of church and state. Mm. Oh, 100%, yeah. And the smaller a religion is, the more of a minority it is, the more it supports freedom of religion and separation of church and state. Mm. Because the fact is, if you're in a majority, you don't need to have those kind of liberties given to you because they are naturally a part of Mm. being a majority. A majority never needs to have liberty legislated for them because they already have that simply by the fact that they are a majority. Mm. Mm. Interesting. It is a very, very interesting scenario to look at. Go! 
the people who have called this place their home. Across the oceans we will fly, leaving worldly gain behind to hear the Savior's praise and wake across the globe. Let's uh, head over to our Bible study now. Let's go to the book of Ezekiel. Now let's go to Exodus. 3113. Let's go to Exodus 3113. 3113. And then we'll go to Ezekiel. All right, let's see. The Bible says in Exodus 3113, let's read it. Tell the people of Israel, be careful to keep my Sabbath day, for the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant between me and you from generation to generation. It is given so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Okay, so here the Bible says the, the Sabbath is given as a sign that God is the one who makes us holy uh, or who sanctifies us. Mm. So it's a sign of, in reality, salvation by grace. Mm. A lot of people would look at the Old Testament and say, well, in the Old Testament, you know, they were under works, they weren't under grace, we didn't come under grace until the New Testament. And the Old Testament is all about salvation by works, and there are two standards for salvation, two different ways of getting into heaven. There'll be two groups of people in heaven. And when we get to heaven, we'll be able to go and talk to Moses and say, hey, Moses, how did you get to heaven? And Moses will say, well, I got to heaven by works because I lived under the law. And Moses will say, well, how did you get here? And we'll say, well, I got here by grace because we were not under the law. And Moses will turn around and say, well, weren't you lucky? Mm. Yikes. That's the attitude that you find in Christianity today. Oh, that is, oh, that's yucky. Which is, I don't which like is, it. Which is just, I mean, to begin with, you have to stop and ask the question, what does this say about the character of God? Does God have two standards for salvation? Mm. Does God make it easier for some and harder for others? Was God persecuting them back then by giving them a law? Yeah, is well. there something negative about the law? Mm. Is well, there something wrong with the law? That's what it implies. That's ultimately the conclusion that they come to, and they rally so hard against the law. And it's so interesting because we talk, you know, we've been talking about the covenant, which is all about the law. We're talking about the Sabbath all this week, and we're like, this is amazing. This is the best thing ever. Yet there are Christians out there. You and know, God gives who, you a public holiday once a week, and you don't want to have it. Yeah, well, Go figure. Isn't isn't that isn't that crazy? Isn't that insane? I tell you what, it's a commentary on human nature. Mm. Human nature. We always we just love to just you know. Be enslaved, be enslaved yes. to sin. Yes, uh, isn't isn't that what's That's going on exactly here? Exactly what it is. We love to be enslaved to sin. Mm-hmm. Like it, we see the exact same thing playing out. We were talking all yesterday about how the Israelites they're given the opportunity, they get out of Israel and they're provided food, and yet they still go out on the Sabbath. They still enslave themselves. They still want that piece of Egypt to yes. be a part of their life. Yes. And we see the exact same thing. They're going to give you a day off, and they're like. No, 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 don't do that. <laughs> don't make my life amazing, please. Leave me alone. Like, it's insane. It's exactly the same thing you see happening today. It's a little bit like, it's, it's, it's a little bit like you see sometimes these tragic stories of people who have grown up in traumatic circumstances and have this life commandment that traumatic circumstance, they, they can't feel unless trauma is happening. Hmm. They can't experience life unless there is trauma to go with it. Mm. And so you find that they break free from it, you know, like Goma who breaks free from all of the demons of her past. You know, Goma is somebody, a a girl that would have been abused from like childhood, sexually abused. She grows up in the brothel back in the days when there were no laws, you know, governing anything that took place in the brothels. You can only imagine the kind of abuse that this prostitute received. And she gets the break of a lifetime when she marries Hosea. And you'd think, well, she would just 
recoil with horror at ever going back to that, but the Bible says, as a dog returns to its vomit. Mm. That's what we do as humans. Mm. And, and you see you see Gomer's brokenness coming through, you know, further on in her life where her whole life just falls apart because of, you know, the previous trauma that she had gone through, the damage that had been done to her, and she believes the lies of Satan when Satan says, well, look, this is who you are. You can't change. You've fallen. You'll fall again. Why even bother continuing to get back up again? Just just, just give up. And so she does. She just gives up and goes back to prostitution. Mm. And And that's the story of humanity right there. As a dog returns to its vomit, God comes to us and says, I want to do amazing things for you. God comes to us and says, I'll give you a public holiday once a week. And we're like, no, 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 no. We don't want to do that. Mm. Let's go back and eat more vomit. Yeah, wow. It's just like, what is wrong with <laughs> us as humans? It's so true. It's human nature. You know, it's, and it's a human nature, Lawson, that you and I share. 100%. That's, 100%. that's the tragedy of it. Anyway, the Bible says that the Sabbath is a sign that it is the Lord that sanctifies us. In mm. other words, it's the Lord that makes us holy. When when God writes this here in Exodus 31 and verse 13, that the Sabbath is a sign that the Lord is the one who makes us holy, what God is speaking is there is no such thing as holiness by works. Yeah. Wow. And the Sabbath is a reminder, wow. you can never make yourself holy. Mm. This is one of the clearest statements you'll find anywhere in the Bible on salvation by grace alone. Hundred, oh, say that again, La. That's so good. This is one of the clearest <laughs> statements you'll find anywhere in the Bible on salvation by grace alone because the Bible says that the Sabbath is a sign that we can only be saved by grace. Wow. That's ama- that is so good. You know, where my mind goes with that, uh, as we read in Hebrews 13, where the Bible says... I thought you were going to go where I was going to go. Anyway, keep going. No, let's check it out. Hebrews 13, where the Bible says that the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yes. Like, God never changes. Yes. And the reality is, is uh, you know, the, the law of inertia, how, you know, if something is moving, it needs, you know, something for it to stop moving or it won't stop moving. It's like, we are the same, actually. Like, we... God is bent towards righteousness and holiness, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're the same. That's right. We're we're bent towards sin. Yes. And we will keep going, and we will keep going. But God there, and the Sabbath here, it acts as that that drag, that, that, that thing that stops the inertia of sin that leads to destruction, that he gives us that opportunity to continually be reminded that, oh, no, I can change your life. I can work in your heart. I can give you something more. I can give you something better. That cycle of sin that you're going through that we saw in, in the life of Goma, like God can actually stop that. It's powerful. It's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. Let's go to uh, Ezekiel chapter 20. We're going to read the same concept again. It's something you actually find right through the Bible. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 20. Uh, we'll look at one more example before we go on to Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, verse 11. No, verse 12, sorry. Ezekiel 20 and verse 12. Mm, Ezekiel chapter 20, was it? 20. Oh, sorry, I was going to chapter 30. Chapter 20 and verse 12, let's read it. The Bible says this, And I give them my Sabbath days of rest as a sign between them and me. It was to remind them that I am the Lord who had set them apart to be holy. Okay, so once again, the Sabbath is given to us to remind us, the Bible says, that God is the one who has made us holy. Mm. Mm. We are not the ones who made us holy. Works can never make you holy. 
Only God can make you holy. Mm. Okay, so here's the, here's, the, here's the challenging thing. How can an act of obedience be a symbol that you can't be saved by obedience? Because, oh, oh interesting thought. It's a really cool thought because Hebrews 4 goes way into it. Mm. So why don't we go over to Hebrews 4 yeah, 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 and let's yeah. dig into it here in Hebrews 4 because what you've got, and, and this is just God's genius right here, and, and you're going to see it come through in the most remarkable way. Uh, Hebrews 4, let me just find it. Uh, we're going to read uh, quite a bit of a passage here. Uh, let me see here. Let's go to, uh, I want to start in verse 1. Well, mm-hmm. Let's read the first four verses to begin with. So we'll start in Hebrews 4, because God is using an act of obedience to demonstrate that we cannot be saved by obedience. Mm. How does that actually work? This will blow your mind. First four verses, please. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news, that God has prepared this rest, has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Uh, Keep reading. Mm -hmm. Even though this place has been ready since he made the world, we know it is ready because of this place. In the scriptures where it is mentions the seventh day, on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. Okay, so your translation is a little bit different from mine. Let me read verse 4 in my translation. Mm-hmm. Let's see if it sounds anything like yours. The Bible says, For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested the seventh day from all his works. I just didn't hear that one come through in your translation. It's, it says the exact same thing. Okay, all right. I missed it. My bad. <laughs> I was uh, looking for it and waiting for it. Get you in the game. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 4 is an interesting chapter because it's all about salvation by grace. Mm. And Paul draws this... Uh, contrast or correlation, I guess, between the Sabbath and salvation by grace. Mm. Okay, so, so salvation by grace means that you cannot be saved by your good works. You cannot be saved by good works. And so Paul draws this contrast between the other days of the week, the six days that we work, and the Sabbath day mm. on which we rest. He then, because he's writing to the Hebrew people who were steeped in salvation by works at this point in their religious experience, he points out, okay, from the moment that you get up until the moment that you go to sleep, you are performing all kinds of good works to obey the law. Yeah. And you see this as being your means of salvation. Mm. This is not going to save you. You need to come into the concept of salvation by grace because when you come into the concept of salvation by grace then your conscience will actually be clear, not because you've done enough good things, because you're never going to be able to do enough good things, but your conscience will be clear because you've received the forgiveness that comes through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. This is his whole argument through the book of Hebrews. Mm. It's all focused on the sacrifice of Jesus and how it provides salvation for us Mm. by grace. And so now, rather than doing those works so that you can be saved which places you under a lot of pressure. You do those good works because you are saved. Yeah. And that's like a massive weight off your shoulders. People who have gone from one of these experiences, you know, salvation by works to salvation by grace, 
describe it as feeling like a massive weight has just lifted off their shoulders, that weight of guilt Mm. that they have carried with them because they have never been good enough to be saved and they know that they are never going to be good enough to be saved. And so they are living with the with the reality of being lost all the time. And now that weight rolls off their shoulders and that weight is like, you know, the six days of work that you do all week long and now they enter into the Sabbath and it's like, <sighs> mm. you know what it's like when you've been working hard and a public holiday comes along. Yeah. And suddenly it's like, oh, I get to have a day off. Oh, it's just so nice to have a day off and mm. get some, you know, have a bit of a relax. And so this is why the Sabbath is used as a symbol of salvation by grace. Mm. Now, the question that then comes up is, why use an act of obedience to symbolize salvation by grace? And is God actually, you know, doing away with the Sabbath here in Hebrews chapter 4? And here's something that you often find that people will raise in relationship to Hebrews chapter 4, and I've heard this so many times, and people will say, I don't need to keep the Sabbath because Jesus is my Sabbath. Mm. My first issue is with the question. It's it's a dumb question because, like, why don't you want to keep the Sabbath? Yeah, well. Mm. You know? I <laughs> uh, don't get it. Uh, but we're going to come back and we're going to look at that in more detail in just a moment. Is Jesus our Sabbath? What does that actually mean?
The show will be back with you live again on. We have the got t- some messages coming through. Let's have a look at them very quickly. Where did they go? They were right here. Okay. Obedience and commandments are only mentioned together three times in the Bible. The rest of the time, it's the word keep mm. in relationship to the Sabbath. That's interesting. That's a very good observation right there. We have also this one. If you do research on how many laws governments have made, which stands in untold thousands, would not be needed if people kept the Ten Commandments. So how many laws would not be needed if people kept the Ten Commandments? It would be thousands and thousands uh, right there. Mm. Uh, We've got another text message coming through there, I suspect, but it's just a speech bubble right now, but it will appear in just a moment. Here it comes. Only God is good. So we could say our God works instead of good works. Mm. So God works instead of good works. Uh Uh-huh. Because only God is good. Yeah, I like that. We that, okay. This is the profundity of the day. Lyle, I really want to get back to you. You brought up this point. You just okay. you cliffhangered this point. Okay. You know what? What was what, it? Okay. The the point is essentially, uh, why does God call us to, you know, obedience to symbolize the great grace that He gives us in saving us? And why does He single out the fourth commandment for that? Mm. I mean, couldn't. If obedience is going to symbolize grace, why not pick one of the other commandments? And I'm going to argue that this is the only commandment that it is possible Mm. to be a symbol of salvation by grace. Yeah, wow. And the reason for that comes down to motivation. Mm. Okay, so let's think about works, salvation by works versus salvation by grace. Do saved people do good works? Yes. Do people who are trying to be saved by works do good works? Yes. Yes. So the works don't change, do they? No. Between salvation by works and salvation by grace, the works are exactly the same. Mm -hmm. What changes is the motivation. Mm. All right, so if you are doing what you are doing so that you can be saved... That's salvation by works. Mm. If you are doing what you are doing because you are saved, that's salvation by grace. Yeah, wow. Now, here's the difference between uh, the fourth commandment and all the others. The fourth commandment is a neutral commandment. You might describe it as an arbitrary commandment. I wouldn't describe it that way, but some people do see it that way, and you can kind of see why. I'd describe it as a neutral commandment. Mm. Let me share with you why. Thou shalt not kill. An evolutionist could make a really good argument for thou shalt not kill. Mm -hmm. And thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not commit adultery, all of those commandments, thou shalt not covet, etc. Thou shalt not steal. An evolutionist could make a good argument for those commandments. A pagan could, and most pagans do Mm -hmm. uh, to, to a certain extent, um, a, a Hindu or Buddhist or you know anyone who serves any god on earth could make a good argument for those commandments because they make just good social sense in our world. Mm. 
Then you go to the first three commandments. You shall have no other gods. Well, anyone who's going to proclaim himself as God. You know, Baal stands up and Baal says, no, I'm actually God. Forget mm-hmm. Yahweh, I'm God. You know, Baal, worship Baal. Or Zeus. Or Titan. Or any of the other gods. Mm-hmm. Stand up and say, no, no, it's me. Then it would be entirely inconsistent if they said, but you can have other gods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the next commandments that come after that, you know, don't make any carved image. Well, that's just personal preference from one god to another. Uh, but, you know, not taking God's name in vain. Well, any god who is proclaiming themselves as God, it's entirely natural that they're going to have to make that argument. Mm. And there is an obvious reason why we would do that if we were servants of those gods. Mm. Because we don't want to offend them. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm, if I'm worshipping and following Zeus... I don't want to offend the guy, so I'm yeah, not going wow. to, you know, have an adulterous affair with, you know, some other god while I am proclaiming my allegiance to Zeus. Mm. I'm not going to use his name as a swear word. Yeah, wow. Mm. With every third word that comes out of my mouth because I don't want to offend Zeus because, you know, he's supposedly God. When it comes to the Sabbath, what difference does it actually make? I mean, really, it's just one day in seven. And, you know, why even keep it on the day that God chose? Mm. And this is the argument that you often hear from a lot of Christians, like, well, I'll keep one day in seven. Uh, You know, the sun goes up, the sun goes down. Sometimes it rains, sometimes it doesn't. A day is just a day. It's no different from any other day. What difference does it make? And here's the difference that it makes. It's the only commandment that can actually reveal where your heart is. Mm. Because if your heart is not with God, the other commandments just make sense. Of course you're going to keep them. Sabbath commandment's neutral. Mm. If your heart is not with God, what difference does it make? You're going to question it. Yeah, wow. And that's the difference between works and grace. You see, salvation by works is when we come to God and say, well, you know, our works are good enough for you, God. That's, that's, that's essentially what salvation by works is. Our works are good enough for you. And so when we come to God and say, look, my day is good enough for you, you know, the day that I prefer, that's me, self, I've created my own religion, that's salvation by works. But when you come to God and say, you know what, God, I love you so much because of your death on Calvary and because of your grace that you extend to me, I love you so much, I will do whatever you say, no questions asked, even when I can't see what difference it would make. Mm. That reveals where our heart is. That reveals that we have experienced salvation by grace. Mm. And that is why Paul uses the Sabbath as a symbol of salvation by grace mm. here in Hebrews chapter 4. And and furthermore, it's it's the, the grace uh, that is received through faith, as Paul stipulates as well, that we are saved by grace through faith. Sabbath in and of itself is a sign of faith. When you Absolutely. keep it, you're saying, I'm going to forego my potential income, I'm going to forego my potential you know, ability to be able to move, to trade, to do anything, to just spend this time worshipping God. And, and this is the thing. 
we we would we would actually speaking during the interview with John Ashton. Uh, yes, it was it was a f- former interview, but he was talking about the experience that people have and how it's it's impossible to discount that all these different people are having experiences with God. And he gave such a small example mm. out of so many, out of so so many, and it's like. Ultimately, like the Sabbath is is one of those things where we have an experience with God. And from that, he just gives us innumerable blessings. He always supplements our needs. Anything that we need when we are faithful to him and how that how is that evidence by keeping the Sabbath, having that act of faith, he will continue to supplement your needs and show you that, no, I'm really God. I'm really here. I'm really in your life. So many amazing things that could be said. You draw me to your waters To drown away my thirst You said come without your money Come drink from my love first You've promised my heart's desire That my soul will delight in the richest affair, it'll all be waiting for me. When I take your hand and follow you there, I will run. You'll take my hand, leading me on to your promised land. You'll take me there to the land where I'm the land that flows with milk and honey. You draw me to your water to drown away my thirst. You said, Come with us. Drink from my love first. You've promised my heart's desire that my soul will delight in the richest affair. It'll all be waiting for me when I take your hand and follow you there. I will run. You'll take my The land that flows with milk and honey. Take me, love. Break me, God. Take my heart and make it new.
the land where we're free, to the land that flows with milk and honey. A party and you're invited. New Star Juice and the RTM Op Shop are celebrating their second anniversary with 20 days of festivities for all. A New Star Juice, we're giving away two items for the price of one for 20 days. Buy one, get one free. And the RTM Op Shop is selling bags for just $20. Whatever items from the shop you can fit in the bag is yours. Clothes, appliances, shoes, books. Teddy bears! You can have it all for only $20. Don't miss this opportunity as it's only available while supplies last. Come celebrate with us for 20 days from the 22nd of November to the 17th of December at both New Start Juice and the RTM Op Shop, Monday to Friday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 45 William Street, Raymond Terrace. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. If you skip breakfast, you're among half of Australians who leave home without a meal each morning. I'm here talking with Nabila Khan. She's a dietitian from the Sanitary Nutrition Service. Why is breakfast so important? Breakfast literally means break the fast. And since we haven't eaten since the night before, it's really important to provide the body with nourishment in the morning. A healthy breakfast provides fuel for the brain and research shows that people who eat breakfast are less likely to be overweight. Breakfast eaters usually have a more positive mood and they're usually and less stress. So what about those who don't have time or don't feel like eating in the morning? For people who run out of time each morning, eat breakfast first. Before you shower or iron, eat breakfast. That way it doesn't get forgotten. And if you don't feel hungry when you get up, put together a brekkie snack pack mixed with fruit, whole grain cereal and yogurt and eat it when you get to work or when you feel like eating. If you would like a recipe for homemade cinnamon muesli, visit our website, sanitarium.com.au. Just me with his own blood. I stand in his righteousness, washed by his mercy. Though I fail a thousand times, Lord, your mercies are new every morning. Spirit be steadfast and strong and All my sins lie Scarlet will be white as snow Though they're in light Crimson they will be as wool All my sins lie Scarlet will be white
So maybe we should just launch into <laughs> into into uh, into yes, Michelle. <laughs> question of the day. Oh, we started the day this way, <laughs> and it just hasn't stopped. The whole day has gone this way. What an epic time! All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what have you got for us there? <laughs> Dying, dude. Okay, question of the day. Why do your presenters... Oh, this is another call out. Here we go. It, yes. it, it literally starts with, why do your presenters... Okay. Ooh, here we go, here we okay. go, here we go. Why do your presenters refer to only half of the fourth commandment and neglect the other half? I've never heard reference to the commandment, six days you shall labor. In other words, the Christians to be truly obedient must be actively engaging in productive work six days a week. Okay, so let's read what the Bible says. Uh, in Exodus 20 and verse 8 through 11. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I'll just put it on record that I have mentioned this part of the commandment many, many, many times. <laughs> Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I've never emphasized it, though. I will admit that. Mm-hmm. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You nor your son, your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger that is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven, earth, the sea, and the fountains, and and sorry, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Okay, so the section there, six days shall you labor, is one, two, three, four, five words long. Okay, so that's five words, and so it's actually a very small part of the fourth commandment. Not one to be ignored, but it is not the largest part of the commandment. The largest part of the commandment deals with resting and, of course, worshipping. Now, what makes me feel a little uncomfortable about the question is that the question adds to Scripture, and I do not believe that we should ever be adding to Scripture. And the question adds to Scripture by using the word productive. Okay, so when we add the word productive into that, so we now have not just six days shall you work and do all your labor, but now we have productive work and productive labor, then that implies that there is no time for taking a holiday, there is no time for being unemployed, there is no time for education, there is only time for productive labor, and we ask ourselves the question, is God being unreasonable here? Does God never expect us to take a holiday? Does God never expect us to uh, to have an education? Or does God never expect us to go through periods of unemployment? And the answer is no. 
And it's very, very clearly known, and it's very, very clearly outlined in the entire Bible, particularly the Old Testament, where you have a whole series of holidays that are given to the Jewish people. They had more holidays than just about anyone else in the ancient world uh, in the early years of the Israelite nation. These were festivals where they were not to do productive labor. They covered extensive periods of time, and... uh, They were to spend time worshipping God, coming to Jerusalem, having camp meeting, fellowshipping, all of these kind of things, and they were centred around these seven annual feasts. We also find that education was incredibly important to the Israelite culture and religion, and so it does not discount education, and we find that there was provision made for those who found themselves in unemployment. And so very, very clearly when the Bible speaks about work and do all your labor, the Bible is not requiring that to be productive labor. So if it's not requiring that, then what is it speaking about? And the answer is found in Isaiah chapter 58, where it says in verse 13, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then shall you delight yourself in the Lord. I will cause you to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And so the Bible very clearly outlines here that those other six days are available for us to do our own pleasure, to find our own ways, and to speak our own words. And so when it comes to finding our own pleasure, of course, that's going to be that's going to include times of taking a holiday and so forth. It does not require productive labor. It includes everything outside of our day of worship with God. That brings us to the end of The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM where we have been bringing to you the best and the greatest of all of our shows throughout the year. Of course, Lawson, are we back tomorrow? Well, we might be. You might be listening to us, but we'll be back live on the 10th of January, so stay tuned until then. And, of course, don't forget to talk faith, live faith, and act faith. Sheep securely for